this is uh, Nan, and I'm here with Brian. Hello. And we are secretly timid talking about Mad Men. We still haven't come out <laughs> with a clever uh, title for this little show. Um, and this week we are going to be talking about two episodes because Brian didn't watch last week's episode in time. So um, Yeah, I just kept getting later and later in the week and I was like, I don't want to keep putting you off. Let's just do it next week. So here we are talking about, um, and shit, I can't remember what last week's episode was called. Uh, let me look real quick. I've got it up. It's uh, forecast, the the forecast. Forecast. The forecast. So we'll be talking about the forecast and then also time and life. Yes. Um, so first, we'll talk about the forecast. Um, so I really enjoyed this episode. And really? I was like, oh, finally. It's like, a, I don't know, an episode that I actually I liked. Um, and there was no waitress. So, you know, <laughs> coincidence? True. I think not. Um but uh, and it sounds like maybe you didn't enjoy it. Yeah, I was a, I was a little disappointed in that one. It was just um, I guess maybe there just wasn't enough going on that I wanted to go on. I, well, it was it was Sally's first episode, and and it was a great Sally episode, but it could have been she could have been in there on the sh- the show more. Right. <laughs> um. And, but I mean, there were, there were, it was still good, but it just, it, to me, it was not as good as the earlier episodes had been. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I guess for me, this seemed like the episode where finally, um, we're starting to see really what the themes, the central themes of the season are going to be, or like, you know, where we are with Don, which is basically the last two episodes basically kind of been about how, um, cause it, you know, every season of Mad Men kind of follows this arc where, you know, shit starts to hit the fan and then boom, we have a new beginning, right? Like right. somebody starting a new agency or doing, you know, there's a marriage dissolving or a new marriage is happening or something, you know, and it always happens right there at the end of the season. And now it's like things are falling apart, but note all the attempts to kickstart something new are kind of going nowhere. You're talking about the wrong episode. <laughs> I am, but I feel like both episodes were kind of along those lines, okay. you know, at the very least for Don, right? Because um, in the forecast, we see him, like, trying to figure out... The whole episode is about him trying to figure out what's next, right? Right. And he clearly has no clue. And we've never seen Don... We've seen him scramble to come up with an idea of what's next, but he always seems to... I don't know. He always seems to be having some sort of forward motion. You you, you always felt he had confidence. Or you always, you always were confident that he was going to do it before. Right. Exactly. Like... Things may seem bleak, but we know Don, he's going to pull this out at the end. Um, and it seems that Don is having trouble even figuring out. I mean, he sort of, like, tried all the things, and none of them have really worked out for right. him. So it's like, what do you do now? Yeah, I um, mean, he's sort, of, he's sort of seeing, he's sort of seeing his level. Um, he's, so he's, uh, he's got the real estate agent trying to sell his apartment, and... He says something like, she, she's tell, telling him about how sad it is, how sad this place looks. He needs furniture in it. She can't sell it unless there's furniture in it because it just looks depressing. 
And he's like, uh, some really good things happened here. And so he's looking back on his life and trying to trying to make it into, you know, this was a good, this, I have, I've had a good life, but yet it's completely empty. Yeah, basically the apartment is a really great um, metaphor for Don. I mean, you know, it's like uh, in my notes, um, one of the quotes that I just have written down is when she says, like, I thought you were going to get the carpets cleaned, you know, like yeah. he just doesn't give a shit. Right. Um, anymore um and so the whole thing is a perfect example like it's just a perfect symbol for how he feels about himself at this point um one of the things and i'm just going to jump around some because it's been a week since i've watched that episode and i just have sort of like notes but like uh one thing that stood out to me in in last week's episode that i had also kind of noticed the in the episode previous to that too was that Roger is actually doing work. Like (laughs) Don comes into his office and he's got all those papers spread out all over the table. And, you know, Don says, it's like, how are you or what's going on? And Roger's like, I'm very busy, you know, like, and he's prepping for this meeting, but. Because his job has always been just to get drunk with clients. (laughs) And now he's actually running a company. Yeah. He's always been sort of like, you know, his father started the, you know, uh, Sterling Cooper and he was, uh, so he was sort of like, he got the job clearly through nepotism sure. and, uh, and so he's always just sort of, yeah, shown up and been charming. And, yeah, that, um, that way that was, he was an account guy. That's what his job right. was. And so now he's like working yeah. and, uh, it's, it's, and it's funny cause they don't really address it. So I don't really have a sense as to why, um, I don't know if this is like, you know, Roger has always kind of been on his own quest. Um, well, but he's the president now. He right. Is the, he's the the man in charge. Yeah, it's just interesting that he hasn't had any, like, it's just interesting that he's been able to sort of seamlessly fall into that role. Yeah. Um, because. I mean, it's always he, been Bert before. Yeah, and he's never, and Roger's never really worked a day in his life. So the fact that this has sort of been like a well, non... Well, let's not discount the work that he did. It was just, uh, it didn't see, he made it, he made it look like it wasn't work. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, he's, making clients happy is not easy. He's just that smooth. Oh, believe me. I, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, he's working and, um, and... Uh, and then we see that we've, you know, we haven't seen Lou all season, and Lou, we discover, is in L.A., which is the no man's land where they stick everybody who, yes. you know. Which I didn't really even get, what I, like, in, in the first episode that we're talking about, I didn't even get what he was, what he was. I didn't get it at all, that he was still with Sterling Cooper and working in California. Right. And, which maybe was something that happened last year, I just don't remember, but... No, I think at the end of last, like the the last half, or the at the end of the first half of this season, um, I think uh, you know, Lou was still. We didn't see what happened to Lou after Don came back. Um, Because like Roger basically bitched him out and said, "You know, you're a hired hand," (laughs) and that was pretty much the last time we saw him. So uh, it's kind of funny that they've just stuck him out there he's so ineffectual and so such a nothing and he tries so hard to be a something yeah. um 
So uh, there was a nice little exchange between Betty and Sally um, talking about Sally getting ready to go on her trip. Mm-hmm. And Betty's telling her about all the trouble they used to get into when they were little kids. Um, trying to break all the light bulbs. And Sally is just like, oh, God, Mom, you know. Um, and Sally jokes about being pregnant. So this is Sally is firmly in teenager land now. Like, right. those are the kinds of exchanges that teenage girls have with their mothers. The sort of, like, smart aleck, jokey quippy thing right um but but almost she's almost past those like like petulant years though she's into more i mean she's called betty betty for a while but but it almost seems like she's the contempt that she has for her is i mean she she can really um she can see her i think right She, she sees both of her parents now and there's a, and in, in in that exchange with Betty at the table, I you know it's like she's being a smartass and and yeah she definitely has like issues with her mom and is going to continue to do so for years you know like all children, um, but there's an undercurrent of love, you know sure. like yeah. there's this you know there's definitely a bond that wasn't necessarily there in more recent seasons. There's been like Sally's been very cold with her mother. Um, for a while and very, uh, just very, didn't, there didn't seem to be a lot of bond there, um, between the two of them, uh, for a long time. So it's kind of nice to see her, they seem to have developed something of a, of a bond, um, since the last time that we saw Sally. Right. Um, uh, and I, I just read through, um, Tom and Lorenzo to remember to recap the episode because it's been so long since I've seen it, and there are a couple of things that that happened in the episode that have to do with um, the approval that Don and Betty seek. One is that Mathis rails on Don for um, or he comes in basically expecting to be fired because he told the clients that they were idiots and. Or that they sh- he was surprised they he, they had the balls to come back after the way they acted last time, which was it was supposed to be some sort of reverse psychology thing. I think he was thinking he was going to charm the clients with that. Um, but he said that it, Don could get away with it because he's so good looking. And that's that's the only thing that anybody sees is how good looking he is. Right. Yeah, Don told him to say that to the clients. Right. right. Don told him he had said that to some clients at some point. And, um, and Mathis really delivers, like, the line of the episode there. And, like, sort of the line, like, the best line about Dawn of all time, right? Like, yeah. you're just handsome. <laughs> right. You know, like, um, you don't have any character, is what he says. You don't have any character. You're just handsome. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I just was like, whoa. You know, like, yeah. that was the best description of Dawn. Um Ever. I mean, it just says it all right there. And who thought, who would have thought Mathis would have been the one that would deliver this, like, spot on read of uh, Don Draper? Yeah. Um, so, and, and Mathis is like, I would have apologized, you know, which is something that, like, we don't ever, never seems to occur to Don to do. Um, even when Don feels 
we see him feel bad sometimes, right? And so remorse throughout the show, we see him experience that emotion, but he never really expresses it. Right. Um, he he doesn't really express it because he he always at, opts for the the um, the ad man approach. Right. He he doesn't ever just say I'm sorry. He's he manipulates the situation to get to the same place that sorry would have gotten him, but without ever having to say I'm sorry. Right. Um, oh, the thing that the thing about this episode that really got me was Joan Joan's uh, storyline mm-hmm. with the gentleman that she meets in LA. She's in LA to hire somebody, and uh, this guy comes by, and Lou, Lou brings him in, or something like that. Like no, who was with the guy that Lou brought in? I guess. The guy, no, he was looking for his optometrist's office, and she, she, he walked in by himself. And, oh, he just and wandered she, in. Okay. Yeah, he wandered in, and she, she was like, Jim, whatever, and then, and then Lou shows up with the guy, and she's like, why didn't you tell me you weren't him? And he said, you know, well, a woman that looks like you says, you know, wants to talk to me, I'm not going to argue or whatever. Uh, yeah, I guess I, I wasn't paying close enough attention to that. And, uh, but, you know... It's so interesting because, like, well, I mean, first of all, I have a note here, like, Joan having sex on the first date. I love it because I do love it. Um, Joan has really, like, Joan has really changed a lot. It's funny because this season, the series is about how people never change, shit never changes. Um, but Joan has actually changed a lot. And it's sort of the world around her that never changes, or that never like changes how they perceive her. See, um, I don't, I don't know that that's true. That I agree with that. That that, or if you're implying that Joan would not have had sex on the first date in previous times. Um, I think she might have, but I don't know because like there's, there was always a so the Joan that we meet in the first season, especially, is like very marriage minded and very so she's out having a good time and we see her out having a good time um a few times like there's an episode where she goes out with her roommate with a couple of guys um, but she's fucking roger the whole time well yeah but i mean like but that's not necessarily i guess my thinking is that like there was a joan at a certain point in time where if she was genuinely interested in a man she might not have like if she'd wanted to turn him into marriage that, yeah, yeah, that it, I agree. To marry him, then she would not. There was, there's a Joan previous to this that I think would have been more, um, would have had her eye more on the prize, would have had like more of a of a game plan going in. And yeah. in this situation, she seems less concerned about where this relationship is even going to go at the very beginning. Yeah, right? yeah, I can see that. I can see that. So. Um, and I think with Roger, honestly, if you look back like way at the beginning and they have the there's an episode some at some point in the earlier seasons where there's even flashbacks to their and their affair initially kicking off. I think that when her and Roger first started fooling around, I bet there was like a sense for her that maybe it might turn into something, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it just never did. And there's been sort of like that thread ran through their relationship for quite a while. Yeah, until, I I think the there's something about her that that I don't think she's a prude, but I think she wants to come off as a prude. And maybe right. it's because of, you know, the way she looks. And people assume certain things about her because of the way she looks. And so she seems sort of prudish and 
and she's I don't but I don't think she necessarily is. I think that there are times when she will um, you know let herself be free for lack of a better word, just be do what she wants to do in the moment as opposed to restraining herself. Right. Yeah, Joan is very like, you know, I mean we basically have like three steadfast uh, representations of women in the show, Betty, Joan, and Peggy. Yeah. And um and Betty definitely represents this woman who completely gets all of her sense of, you know, uh like her job is to get a husband, period, you know, mm-hmm. um, and keep a home and all these things. And then Peggy is this independent new woman. Um, and then Joan is like this interesting mixture of all these things. Right. Um, and so I can see how like, she's more, she's definitely more free than, you know, Betty. Um, but again, like she was, she, she always seemed kind of calculating in the past when it came to her relationships. And with this one, it just feels like she, I don't know. It's like having, it's like being financially independent has done something for her. Yes, I, I um, agree. I agree with that. I think that like making, like making a career for herself, which was not ever something that we saw her even considering in the beginning of the show and was something that she kind of did. It's weird. It's like, she's done it in, in ways like, because of necessity, but then also as it's, as she's done it out of necessity, she's realized that she actually really likes it and actually really, really has an aptitude for it and actually has gotten a lot of confidence from having a career and has really learned, you know what, the world told me that I needed to get married um, and have a man take care of me, but I've proven to myself that I don't because I've proven, you know, that I have, um, all these skills and things that I can do really well. Yeah. I mean, um, it's it, it, it sort of um, <laughs> fallen into her lap, a lot of it, but she has, after that, she has kind of started, I mean, she's, she's taken more control of her career. And, you know, with like with the Avon thing, when she decided she wanted to win the Avon account, which she was already you know, a partner at that point. So she didn't really need to do that, but she wanted more responsibility. And, but at the beginning, it was just sort of like more of a, I'm going to, I'm going to be as successful as I can in this role that's been prescribed for me. And now it's, she's seeing that, um, that there are, there, there are bigger possibilities for her. Right. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, like, um, at the end of the episode, the whole, like the, you know, they hook up and they seem to be hitting it off quite nicely. And she leads him to believe that she doesn't have a child. Um, she's, you know, open about being divorced, but she, you know, when she says she has to work, he says, oh, you have mouths to feed. She says, no, I just, I just finally gotten the job I always wanted, which I thought was a really great line from her. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because in the beginning, again, the job she always wanted in the beginning was to have a husband, you know? And so in a lot of ways, it's not the job she always wanted, but it's like, she's, it's almost like the way she delivers the line and the way she seems about it is like, I've just discovered this job that I always wanted. Right. Um, I found myself in this position that I've, you know, I, it's the thing I never knew I wanted, but now it's like the only thing I ever wanted. And, 
Um, and so, uh, and then eventually, though, he comes to New York to see her and discovers she's got a kid and, and basically, you know, doesn't want to date somebody who's got a kid. And, um, and she the way... a really good scene where she she's telling him that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting rid of the kid. I'm, I want to be right. with you. <laughs> right. Well, so, so she, he tells her he doesn't want to, you know, we have be with her because she's got this kid and then yeah at the end like he comes back to apologize because she you know storms out after he says you know he can't be with her she's got a kid and um and he says yeah he's like and the way that she handled that was just so uh brilliant you know um and uh and so and that was the thing when I posted on Facebook like you know, all I want in the world is a happy ending for Joan. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, that was sort of like what led to that. And, uh, and you know, in a lot of ways, I don't think Joan's happy ending is necessarily about finding a man anymore. And that's the thing that's really interesting is like, that was what she wanted in the beginning. And, um, and now it's possible she might get it, but it's definitely not going to be the only thing that's going to make her happy, right? For Joan to have a really happy ending at this point, she's going to need, um, to have that career piece be part of it as well. So it's become much more complicated. Um, Which sort of segues into the next episode. Yeah, exactly. And that was the thing is that, like, that was so heartbreaking for me in this next episode is that it looks like it's possible she may lose that career. And, you know, um, and that's that's really heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, But keeping it in the first episode... um, we need to talk about Glenn. <laughs> Who is not a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I was like, oh my God, he's turned into like a gigantic head on a stick. Like the proportions <laughs> of this poor, this poor boy's proportions are just um, out of control. Yeah. And, and like, as I, as I said, I was reading through Tom and Lorenzo's recap and, they were talking about what a poor choice it was for Matthew Weiner to cast his son in this decade-long <laughs> role. And But I, I think Glenn's been fine. I don't think he's been bad at all. Right, yeah. Um, no, I don't... It's so funny because, like, I saw... I read their recap, and they said Glenn sucked in these scenes. And then I, somebody wrote excuse me, on Facebook, that Betty's acting ruined these scenes. And I didn't agree with either of those assessments. Yeah, um, me either. I think, you know, it's funny because it's like, Jamie Jones is all this shit for not being a good actress, and I think she's like the perfect Betty. I mean, Betty's an ice queen. She's not showing a lot of emotion on the outside. She's right. this, you know, cold, removed person who's not really necessarily in touch with her own emotions. She's not, definitely not in touch with how to relate them to other people. She tries. You see her like reaching out and trying and then that's very awkward. And and having it be awkward is perfect. I mean I don't really understand what people think should be different about Betty's performance. No, I mean there's nothing like I I don't know if she's a good actress or not, but if she's not, she could keep playing that role in different formats for the rest of her career and make a she probably win an Oscar at some point. <laughs> I mean <laughs> Right. She's really good at that. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's, I, I haven't seen any of the other stuff she's ever been in because I'm not like an X-Man fan or whatever. But, yeah, I haven't um, seen anything else she's been in. Uh, and you know, yeah, but I agree. Like as Betty, she's just perfect, like in every way. So um, the awkwardness of the scene is very fitting for the what is going on, you know, between yeah. um, these people. And it's so funny because it's like Glenn shows up, Betty comes in, Betty doesn't even recognize Glenn, and then the minute that you know Sally says, "Oh, you know," or when he says, "I'm Glenn Bishop," you know, mm-hmm. I mean. She like the look on her face, like she just like it, I it was like she just got so like kind of hot, you know, like um like yeah, immediately well, like well, the, hello sir like the minute she knew who he was like the sexual tension was just like boom, which is so funny because the last time she remembers well, but, uh, but also also she she was already kind of flirting with him right um. But, which is funny, though, because, like, you know, you would think that considering her, like, the fact that she's mostly known him through his childhood, the minute she would know who he was, then any you normal person... would be the opposite reaction. Would, well, yeah, any normal person would be like, oh, well, it's so good to see you. Tell your mother I said hello. Have a good day. I still have my hair. <laughs> but instead, no, Betty is like, you know, and... And again, that's like, um, this relationship with Glenn has always kind of been a symbol for her, like... Um, her, you know, she's got a, a wounded child in her, and um, she's carrying that child around, and so in some ways she's very childlike, um, because she's still trying to heal this wounded child. That's my interpretation of Betty and and all and and her attraction to somebody who's like so much younger than her. I mean, at least at this point, he's um, legal, but you know, previously. <laughs> It's been extremely inappropriate, and you know, obviously, it's still somewhat inappropriate for various reasons. But um, you know, she's—is it though? She... So? <laughs> oh well, I mean, she's married. I don't well, know. That would, yeah, like... I mean, that's, that's, that was her reasoning as well. I can't. I mean, I'm married. <laughs> I kind of wanted them to do it. Like, quite honestly, I was like sitting there through that whole scene, and I was like, "Oh my god, they're like, she's finally gonna have sex with Glenn Bishop, like finally." But I love that Sally is, at the beginning is like, "Betty's here." <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So and and Glenn shares that he's getting ready to go off to the Vietnam War, and he says that he's going because you know it's not right for um for black kids to be going over there and dying, um, uh, presumably because they'd be getting drafted. Um, and for him, right, exactly. There's nothing to protect them from being drafted. And so he thinks, you know, he says he's going to go to, because it's the right thing to do. And Sally gets mad. He doesn't want somebody else to have to go in his place. Right. And Sally gets mad and storms out. Um, and, uh, but what we see later when Glenn comes back is that he's really going because he basically failed out of college. Right. Um, and he, and there's definitely a, a hint of like, he's in that place where he's struggling to be a man. And what does that mean? And, um, and you know, one very easy way to assimilate into masculinity is to go and join the military. Um, and clearly it got him the respect of his uh, stepfather, um, 
and he's hoping it will also win him the girl because you he, was, know. he was really he was really uh, <laughs> gonna play that card. Here I am, I'm a man now. See, I've joined the military. I'm a man, so let's bone. And Betty was like, and Betty gave him the cheek, gave him the cold shoulder, and um, until the end when she actually gave him her cheek and <laughs> <laughs> put his hand on her cheek. I was like, for a second, I was like, oh my god, did she have to put her hand on his boob or his hand on her boob? Um, That's exactly what I thought as well. <laughs> Give it a little squeeze. Um, and so, uh, but yeah, so, um, and Betty, you know, tells him she can't, she's married, and uh, and she tells him it's going to be okay, but clearly she doesn't, you know, she tries to be uplifting and encouraging um, that he's not going to die in the war, but clearly she's not necessarily convinced. Um and so, uh, and, and Sally, after yelling at him later on, feels remorse and tries to get in touch with him before he leaves. And she's very frantic that she has to tell him she's sorry. And mm-hmm. and so, yeah, the Vietnam War is like a thing that's really happening in these people's lives. Um, so, yeah, even though it's. You know, it's by that time. It's it, we've uh, historically it's kind of turned a corner at that point where public sentiment has shifted shifted away, and you know we're talking about trying to finish it up, but in reality, it lasts for four more years, or right. five more years. Um, oh, and you know, one thing that struck me about the whole thing with Betty and Glenn was that, like, uh, you know, it's funny because when she was um, when she was uh, with Don, but she was like having her situation with Henry. Mm-hmm. Like she was like cheating, and you know, she was like cheating in every way except like you know actually having sex with Henry, right? Like right. she was completely emotionally unfaithful, and she was like. You know, having these I mean, torrid, the first night, really. <laughs> right. And having these torrid conversations with him and like flirtations and showing up at his play at his office and meeting him for coffee and like having these like clandestine, you know, um, meetings and uh, and but you know, when they go to see the divorce lawyer and the divorce lawyer lawyer implies that she's been unfaithful, they're like, Oh no, she's a lady, like she's you know, like she's never we've never had sex. Oh my god, right. you know, what do you like very proper. And it's funny because we see sort of like a similar thing play out in this Glenn situation. Like she's totally going to like give him the eye fucking and like, you know, be flirtatious and give the vibes and all that kind of stuff. If he had had any game, he could have gotten her. But the thing is, I don't think he could have, because I think at the end, Betty's like, it's like, she will totally cross all those lines, but then she's like, I'm married. I'm married. Like, we can't because have sex because I'm married. She had sex with a stranger in a bathroom when she was married to Don. Oh, that's true. She had sex I with Don while she was married to Henry. Yeah. I forgot about the stranger in the bathroom. I mean, Don, she, it was after she found out that Don had cheated on her. But she had sex with Don when Henry's been nothing but faithful. Yeah, but I kind of felt like Don was a little different. I mean, to me, Don... That's a gimme. 
But to me, Don is like different from the stranger in the bathroom. I mean, I'll give you the stranger in the bathroom, but Don's different only insofar as like they've had sex before. They have like a previous, you know, relationship. And so for her, so it's not, it's not but it's still, yeah, it's still cheating, but it's like for her, it will feel, um, it will feel different in her conception of like, um, what is untoward behavior. Really? Um, I don't think so. Uh, kind of. Because, like, for, so, there's a way of conceptualizing, like, there's a way of thinking about purity or chastity in this, in, in these concepts of, like, ladylike behavior as in, like, the whole, the whole thing is broken once you've given that specific person the sex just once, right? Like, it's everything, it's all about that first time, that first time you give them the sex, and so with Don, like about they, in her mind, not in reality. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm talking about like in a very, very specific way of thinking about um, chastity or purity or like you know whatever that thing is that that womanhood is um, built on for women like Betty, right. um, lady likeness is that the sex is like a gift, right? And it's only a gift once, and then after that, it's basically with that person. It's no longer. Um, this special thing. So it kind of, it's different. Uh, but it's different giving him sex now that she's had sex with him so many times in the past and they've already had a relationship, even though she's married, than like having sex with a stranger in the bathroom, which is, um, both are cheating, um, but one is going to be very different than the other. It's, yeah, it's just however you choose to justify it. <laughs> I, I knew of uh, I knew of uh, like a retired preacher whose wife died, and he felt like he could have sex with whoever he wanted to, because it's only premarital sex if you've never been married before. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> he was like an old man. That's amazing. <laughs> Oh my god, um, that's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, so um, but yeah, it's interesting when Betty pulls the whole ladylike card, you know, um, because I think that that adds and it sort of plays into what Sally says later about how like if anybody pays attention to you guys, you just like you know you oh, ooze, you know. So I mean, good. <laughs> That's basically what happens in the situation with Glenn. And it's basically, you know, so um, it's it's funny to see that come back. That was uh, one of Sally's best moments. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Although I didn't really feel like Don was flirting with her friend. I felt like he was just like, like turning a blind eye to the fact that she was flirting with him. Yeah, I don't, I mean, he definitely was not being the aggressor, but he was entertaining it. Right. I mean, I kind of, I kind of believed him when he said he was just trying not to embarrass her. But yeah, like, I, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I could see that. But also, I can see why that would still not be cool to right. his daughter. You know, like, like he could have, he could have made it stop in a way that wouldn't have embarrassed her, probably. But yeah, um, could have just stopped paying attention to her. But it's sort of like too in that scene with the kids, like, and he. There is, there, whatever he is doing with her, like, 
this, or he's, he is doing the Don Draper charm with her, right. even if he's not, like, fl- out and out flirting that's, with her. That silly shit-eating grin that he has. Yeah, and there's something really sad about it, right? It's, like, just another reminder that maybe oh, he's absolutely. kind of past his prime, and because he's, <laughs> like, charming this teenager, right? And, um... <laughs> Uh, who's very not very smooth with her flirting at all. And so it's this very sort of awkward situation where Don is um, is trying to pull that old Draper charm and he just ends up looking like a sad old man, you yeah. know, is on the verge of, of going into that sad old man territory. Um, and, and throughout the whole entire episode is this theme of, like, Don is trying to come up with the forecast for the agency. Right. Um, and he's asking everybody what it is. At some point, he's, like, he's got Meredith in his office, and um, Peggy comes in, and Meredith is, like, uh, uh, what did she say? Did you see? The, did you go to the World's Fair? That's what I think it's going to be like. Like, you know, Don's basically even, like, Meredith is telling him what she thinks the future is going to be like because Don just doesn't know, you know? Um, I have more to say about Meredith. <laughs> <laughs> Meredith is kind of amazing this season. Yeah, she's like, really she's funny. really hilarious, and she's, like, a good secretary, right? Like, who knew? I mean, she always came across as this, like, total ditz. And, like, last, when she was first assigned to Don and he was, you know, still low man on the totem pole or whatever, um, she was just basically constantly remarking on how handsome he was and how fit he was and don't eat that candy bar because you're just so fit and, like, you're so handsome and kind of trying to flirt it up with him. And now she is just a really good, she's just a really good assistant, you know? Um, well, I'm bit, I mean, she was a part of my, I mean, definitely top three Mad Men moments when she lets Joan get served her divorce papers and Joan picks up the airplane and says, surprise, there's an airplane here to see you. <laughs> um, so, and then, so Don, yes, is like trying to figure out what the future is going to be, you know, Ted Shaw says the future that he wants is, is like a, getting a pharmaceutical account. I mean, Ted Shaw's just become like a total... He just doesn't want anything to do with work. Also ran. I mean, yeah. well, but the thing is, is that he's like, he's come back into the fold. I mean, he expresses this desire for a pharmaceutical company. Right. He wants to do, he wants to work on accounts. But yeah, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to try to plan the future of the agency at all. No, he wants, he wants... He wants a nine-to-five job. Right. And uh, and so he's kind of just checked out. Yeah. Like, there's even a, a part in this, this last week's episode, or, you know, the, the second episode that we're going to talk about, where his face just kind of looks, like, glazed over, kind of a dopey smile as yeah. all this stuff is happening around him in the room, because he's just there, right? Um, and, uh, and so, he, you know eventually Peggy comes into Don's office and is like, Hey, I want to review. And Ted said to just review myself because Ted doesn't <laughs> give a shit anymore. And, um, and, uh, and I want a real review. And so Don is going to review Peggy. Oh, that was rough. That was a rough scene too. Yeah. He's, he's asking her these questions and she's, 
she doesn't understand the purpose of the questions and so she's you know, she's answering and that he's you know as, as she says shitting on everything she says right yeah I mean he just keeps saying and then what and then what yeah and then what and it's basically like that moment is this perfect synopsis of sort of like the whole show you know like um and definitely is the general sense of the season, right? Is that all there is? You know, what's next? Um, nobody knows. There's been a lot of lines in several episodes that call back to the idea that, like, maybe sometimes there isn't, maybe sometimes it's, you know, this is a beginning that's going nowhere. Or maybe, like, right. you're just always beginning things, but there's never any end. There's never any payoff. There's never any, like, getting there. Um like, uh, I mean, we see that in this week's episode when Don... Well, I, I was going to... we transition to this week's episode now? Sure. So do you feel like... Because to, to me, this episode, the uh, time in life, is the episode that I've been waiting for. It's the episode that is telling me what the end... It's sort of... Or I, I, I think, at least at this point, where there's, what, three or four episodes left that I'm seeing the end game now. And to me, the end game is that it doesn't, it doesn't work anymore. The world has passed them by, which, right. which is kind of a theme anyways, but it's never been brought forward. I think as powerfully as it was in this episode. Right. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Tom and Lorenzo said that this was sort of the episode that happens every season where it's just like, everything's like, you know, very, it's very clear. Right, exactly what's going on and what everything means. Um, right. And, yeah, it did definitely snap into place. I mean, I felt like last week's kind of snapped everything into place for me. Um, and this week's just felt like a continuation of that, like those same themes. Yeah, I, I, I can see that sort of. I, last week's, I guess, was more abstract, and this was more concrete. Right. Because you actually see them. I mean, and I when I was watching it, I was like, oh, they've got to save the agency again. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, that's exactly what happens. They try to save the agency again, and only this time it doesn't work. Right, yeah. For the first time ever, it doesn't work. And that's, that, it was may, probably my favorite shot in all of Mad Men when they're, the five of them are standing there and Don's trying to do his pep talk <laughs> and everybody just one by one leaves. Yeah, everybody starts chattering like about what's going on. And like, this is a be- this is a beginning. Yeah. It's not an ending, and everybody's just walking off. And so again, there's that theme, right? Of like people literally saying. I mean, people are saying it out loud this season in every single episode. Different people, right? Like mm-hmm. Pete is says to Don in the car a couple episodes ago. Like, you know, do you ever feel like you know, some like you're, you know, you've got a beginning, but. It, it's not going anywhere. You're just perpetually doing all these beginnings. I don't remember exactly the line, but it's only about beginnings. Yeah. And, and in this episode, yeah, Dawn delivers um, a couple of lines about beginnings, you know? Um, and so it's like that word is now it's just out there. Like we're literally saying this is going to be a beginning, but it never is. Yeah. You know? And, and so the, you know, sort of the, the thing that people have complained about the whole time, which is that these people never change. And now it appears like 
they're saying, yeah, yes, these people never changed, but everything around them changed. They stayed the same, but everything around them changed, and they're being left behind. That's sort of what I think is 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 going to happen with the rest of the season, is that the world has moved on, and they're, you know, they're still who they are. They haven't they haven't really gotten with the times as you know they've they've tried to but they're still themselves they're still the 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 dinosaurs um there was one scene where so um pete had a mustache right at one point in the season um i don't think so no did he not okay i don't think so well there was one scene where it was um where all the the original cast had, they were looking very much the same as they always had, and then they cut to, I think it was uh, when Peggy obviously is original cast, but they they cut to Peggy and Stan. And it was there was such a contrast between the way they looked and the way like Pete and whoever else was in the scene with him looked, right? Um, of the old, you know, fifties look. 50s, early 60s look, and the 70s. Right. There was a huge gap between them. And it was, it was really... To me, it was really telling about what they're trying to say with with it. Right. And, you know, it's interesting because, like, you you know, you point out, like, made the theme of it being sort of the world is changing around them and pass them by, and they're not changing. And one of the things, too, that really comes to the fore for me in what's happening right now with the show is that, because one thing, too, is that the theme of the show so perfectly is the story of alcoholism. And so one thing that alcoholics like pretty much by and large experience is that like alcoholics develop a certain set of tools to get through life with their drinking. And these tools include lying, um, manipulating, um, being charming. Um, who does this sound like? Right. So like, and eventually what the way that's going to say, not me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hey, you know, if you spot it, you got it. Um, so, yeah, not that term. <laughs> uh, so, and what happens for alcoholics over time is that, like, eventually, like, this stuff stops working, right? Like, people stop buying your bullshit. People stop, like, stop being so malleable after they've been manipulated several times. So they stop, like, believing your lies once they realize you lie a lot. Or they... are just good looking. Right. They just, they see through it at some point. The person can't keep it up anymore. That's usually when, like, that's usually... That if, if a person is going to get sober, it's going to happen after they've exhausted all those other tools. No one's ever going to get sober. I mean, I once wrecked a car, called, reported it stolen, and got out, got away with it. And I thought, well, shit, I don't need to quit drinking. <laughs> I'm doing just fine. Um, so, you know, like... You should probably stop telling, telling a story in public, though. <laughs> so... So, you know, eventually, like, what, so for me, part of what I'm always seeing is, like, this is just, this is, like, Don's alcoholism, right? Like, he no longer is able to pull it off. And they're not necessarily tying that directly to alcoholism. I mean, you don't see, we've seen him drink, we've seen his drinking be much more, like, very obvious in previous seasons. But I've never, I mean, I've. Don's alcoholic. I have no reason not to believe that's true. And so I have no, like, he's still drinking. 
Right. We just sure. aren't seeing it necessarily be as messy. It's um, just not out in the forefront of the show. But he's, you know, being pretty messy um, at this point. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, um, a lot of alcoholics feel uh, empty and, um, you know, are very, are operating very surface level all the time, you know, because they're afraid of, they're afraid of what's in there. They're afraid mm-hmm. that there is nothing in there. Um, uh, and the fear that there's nothing in there is often the one thing that keeps a lot of people from getting sober is like, what if I get sober and I realize, and I really find out once for all, there's nothing in there, you know, and and now what do I do? I mean, I don't even know how to conceptualize a life like that. Um, and so for me, that kind of comes up a lot when looking at these last two episodes, it's just. I relate to it in just a way where I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I know what this is, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. um, it's in a lot of ways, it's like hitting bottom. And it doesn't even have to be like necessarily hitting bottom just with alcoholism. Anybody who's like been running for themselves. With anything, at, yeah. Yeah, at some point it's going to have, it's going to catch up with you. Like there's no way to outrun it forever. And that, and so. Oh, it's interesting because, like, yeah, a lot of it is about, like, the agency and the agency versus this outside world. And then that's also, like, a symbol for Don, who would be the agency, and this outside world or this, you know, thing that he's been trying to get um, get a handle on and hasn't been able to or is, you know, starting to lose his grip on his ability to uh, pretend, like, he knows what he's doing or pretend like he knows who he is or knows, you know, anything. Yeah. Um, so should we call this uh, show uh, secretly alcoholic? <laughs> <laughs> huh. I feel um, like we should rewind a little bit and kind of start from the beginning though of the episode. Oh, sure. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> so... I guess the there's there are whispers at the agency that it, that uh, well first of all the first scene is Roger sees that the um, I guess they they've lost their lease and uh, he blames Don D A W N Don originally because she's the one who's supposed to be in charge of it. Whoa. Sorry. That's <laughs> okay. And uh, so. They all get called into the office, and we find out that, no, she was not the problem. It was that somebody at McCain Erickson gave notice that they were leaving the building. So they, they're trying to figure out what's going on, and it takes you know half the episode before they find out that they're being dissolved and or absorbed into McCain Erickson. Right. So... That kind of leaves everybody on a weird career path. Um, there, there's a really good part where they're talking about, or where, the, where the, the five of them are sitting there, and Don is giving a is, is wanting to give a presentation because they came up with this plan that they're all going to go to California and be Sterling Cooper and Partners West. And they're going to take these accounts that are conflicted out and they're going to just run those accounts from California and they're still going to be autonomous except for um, 
Joan because Avon has to stay and Ted because he doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> um, and Don is stopped in the middle of this, you know, this, this, this iconic Don presentation. I mean, this is what he does. He gives a presentation and sells the client and fixes everything and they just cut him off and say, you know, you, you pass the test. Basically, us bringing you on was a test to see if we should bring you into McCann, and you passed. And <laughs> the, uh, the line that I'm sure is fueling lots of fires on the internet is, you've died and gone to advertising heaven. Well, it's funny because, like, um, it's funny because... Uh, when you said they're being absorbed, like, to me, it just immediately called to mind, like, the idea of death, right? Like, being yeah. absorbed back into the earth, back into that from which you came. Death is definitely all over all of these episodes. Yeah. I just don't know that it's going to translate literally. Well, yeah, I'm not trying to say that anybody's actually going to die. Um, you know, but it definitely, and it's funny, too, because, like, part of me wonders, what the hell is so wrong? We're just going to work at fucking McCann. Like, right. what? Well, and that's what Peggy's headhunter guy tells her is that right. the best place for you for you to go is to McCann because you need a big agency experience. And then, you know, when they're laying it out in the meeting that, like, you get a, your, Ted, you get your pharmaceutical. You get Nabisco. Don, you get Coca-Cola. It's like, these are the accounts that you've been clamoring for, that you've been fighting your whole career to get, and we're just going to give them to you. Right. They're yours now, except for Joni. And and just to touch on Peggy for a second before we get to Joan, uh, that, that to me, too, when she was talking to the headhunter and he was like, you know, you definitely should go to McCann. There's no question. Like, this is the best thing for you. You need this, and then you can do this, and then you can do that. Like, She's the, she's the one person who has a clear trajectory and it's going forward and upward, right? Like she's clearly at the beginning, um, beginning middle-ish part of her career. She's doing well. She's good. You know, he's got a clear, she's got a clear plan ahead of her. And it's like, at this point, well, it even says to her, her lack of education is a plus. Right. Um, and so she, and it's a very, that's a very stark contrast to what we see for these people that are sitting in this conference room across from Jim Hobart, um, which is, even though he's telling them, like, it's, he's saying it like it's supposed to be such a positive thing, but everybody's acting like it's death, you know, like this, it's got this death knell thing happening. Well, and, and, you know, Pete says that at one point, I've never worked anywhere else. Like, yeah. this, is, this is the only place it ever worked. So, and they've been fighting for years to keep that place afloat. And to now it just be gone, finally. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I understand their trepidation, even though I think the things that Jim Hobart was saying were all true, that they're going to get all of these benefits that they can't even dream of. Um they're not going to be independent anymore. Right. Um, and so it just, it definitely calls to mind ideas about, um, 
death and it calls to mind like ideas about again like it's the people never change things don has never been able to commit um he never had a contract you know that was the whole big thing back in the days he, he refused to sign a contract and um that was the first time that they changed the company around and everything right duck duck was there and like well you you know you're under contract and he's like oh no I'm not <laughs> <laughs> um and so uh and so yeah it's like Jim says at some point I think like stop fighting like you stop fighting and and there's this question like what and at this point we don't even I mean it's not even clear it's not even clear definitely to Don like what he's fighting for it's just that he's fighting right no um, that's exactly that's exactly right it was not that they had a clear mission in mind. It's just like, no, we don't. We don't want change. <laughs> we we want to try to. We're we're changing so we don't have to change. We're going to figure out a way so that we can stay the same. And this is clearly like also an illustration of how Don is losing his like luster, you know, because like back in the day, people would sort of like Don would walk, you know. Not even just getting cut off in a in a presentation, but like back in the day, like Don could convince, could get his way in all kinds of situations just because people wanted to keep him happy, right? Like the understanding was like he's the talent, we got to keep him happy. If sure. he's happy, then he'll keep producing and keep you know. So like, but and the Don magic is like, it's gone. That, to me, that was that was sort of vindication for the show. What everybody says that nothing ever changes. These people are never everything. It's just a repeat over and over and over again. And finally, there's like a, a stick in this the wheel <laughs> that's just you know change things. It's just you know jammed it up and it's different now. Right. Like we we can now see that it's not. Yes, they've stayed the same, but things have changed. Um, and yeah, so to Joan, like, yeah, when she, when she's in that cab with Pete and she says, they, you know, they said everybody has an account, but me, um, like, no, you've got the, the pharmaceutical and, uh, nope, nope. And they never, I mean, Jim never addressed her. Like there was never any direct, um, acknowledgement of Joan, uh, in the meeting and she knows I mean, she basically got, you know, she got to the top um, with Sterling Cooper, Draper Price, um, in part. I mean, you know, everybody always goes back to, like, well, she got it through sleeping with that guy. But honestly, she had earned some, like, quite a bit of respect Absolutely. from Absolutely. She, she, she got there because of her talent in running that office and her talent in managing everything in that for all of those companies, whatever iteration they were in. Right. And that's how she got there. Yeah. And that's why I'm not that worried about her. Is I mean, it's a big company, but whatever part of it she ends up in, I, I mean, she'll prove herself. Yeah, I just worry about her because, like, um, because we saw earlier in the season the interaction with the guys from McCann where they seriously sexually harassed her. That's true. And, um... And, you know, for women, like, sometimes it's not enough to be talented and smart and, like, prove your worth. Um, 
like if you can't if you can't get the people that you're working with to see you as a person um and as you know more than an object then you can't um then they it's it's sometimes people won't see it like sometimes people will just only see um the person as an object um if that's how they you know view women um in the world um and so you know uh and so I definitely understand Joan's fear that she's going to go to McCann and there's just going to be a bunch of those guys everywhere and they're just yeah, going to talk guess, to her. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Like that um, forever. Uh, and so, and she wanted to burn that place down, you know? So like, <laughs> I'm sure that that can't feel super exciting for her. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny cause it's like, I feel like there was a time again in Joan's life when she would have been like, Oh, well, I have this guy. He's totally into me. He clearly has money, you know, um, he can totally take care of me. Um, I have, I I have money. I mean, she's got money now. Right. Like, I mean, she does, but apparently they're paying it out in installments. Right. But I mean, she could just go to McCann, ride it out, you know, just four more years. Be a desk jockey, do, you know, as little as possible, get her money and like, you know, say peace out. But she, this is what she wants to do now. This is really spark something in her. And she's, she enjoys the power that she gets, not even like the power she gets in relation to other people, but just the sense of power that she gets within herself by doing this job, you know? Um, And so it's really sad that um that that's being threatened um and that so that's the one that's the one character where i really understand why this is such a death for her and why this is such like not a good thing but for everybody else i'm just like i mean i don't know maybe it's just the world's laziest human i'm like what you want to send me to some big company where i can probably waste like half my day doing absolutely nothing for like well yeah i agree if if joan is number one on the list then pete is number two (laughs) because <laughs> Pete might be fucked as well yeah he like he's the one who said I've never worked anywhere else and I think he he's you know he is not a natural at his job <laughs> and you know he's he's you know fought and clawed and lucked his way to where he is but that may not translate at McCann you know, right. he may, he may, uh, he may be, will be, it's not that we don't know what he is already, but what he is may be, it, um, finally catch up with him. Right. Um, and you know, he's always wanted his name on, on it and yeah. he's, he's still <laughs> never, certainly he's, never going to happen. <laughs> he's been a partner, but he still never has gotten his name on it. Yeah. And so he was, he was and partners. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so I think, you know, like he just sees, oh, I was so cool. Okay. Now it's like totally slipping away again. Right. He's just going to be absorbed into this giant thing. Um, So. um, Yeah. I mean, Don, Don actually seemed the most kind of like, okay with it. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe he's finally just tired. No, they got us. (laughs) <laughs> basically it was his his whole attitude it's like oh yep fair, fair play they got it 
Um, it's just interesting to think about like what Don Draper will be if he's not an ad man. I mean, that's the part that I really just am like, I don't know. Like, I don't even, I don't know. I mean, maybe he will just go to McCann and ride a desk for a while and then ride off into the sunset. Who knows? Why does he have to ride a desk? Well, you know what I mean, though. Like, it's such a huge company. And if he's kind of lost his Don Draper magic, he's just not going to go to this big company and be the rock star anymore. I guess is what I mean by ride a desk. You know, yeah. um, uh, well, I, I guess I don't. I don't think that he's lost his magic in that way. I think he's lost his magic on the show. I think the show wants us to see that that the world has moved on without him. But I don't know that that that's necessarily. Um, well, I guess I, I, I yeah. I guess what I'm thinking though is that like. So he, I, I feel like he will definitely still have a talent, right, for, like, coming up with advertising campaigns. Mm-hmm. Um, but in something like advertising, a lot of your career is based on people's perceptions of you. Um, so you can have, like, a lot of talent, but if people perceive you as, like, um, on a downward trend or not as charming or all those things, it can definitely cause you to lose stature um, okay. or to not gain stature because... Mm-hmm. So much of it is about, like, is about those relationships and, like, people in the world listen to people that they find, like, the same idea presented by two different people is going to be taken differently based on how those people are perceived um, by the world or the people around them. Um, And so I can see why, like, his inability to charm a room could seriously be a detriment to him, especially if he goes to a company where it's big, there's younger people on the rise, there's, you know, like other people he may be competing with for attention, um, as opposed to what we've seen him in so far throughout the entire show, which is, you know, out front, out, you know, he's the leader of the pack, he's the standout star in his agency, he's the creative director, he's the boss, you know, all these things. Um, And so who knows what his position will even be at McCann. I mean, he may even be like a creative director, but he'll be one of probably several. Um, right, sure. And so... He gets Coca-Cola. It's <laughs> a pretty big deal. True that. Um, but this yeah. This is a really good... This is, um, this is a really good Meredith episode, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. When she went in there and yelled at him. Um, <laughs> and... You know, again, it's so funny because it's like, it just dawned on me, like, last episode, Mathis, this person that we've had with us, you know, now for a while, but he's just been, like, bopping along, kind of a ding-dong, um, you know, just this like, kind of bumbling person, uh, goes into John's office and, like, calls him on the carpet and delivers, like, this amazing, you know, read of Don Draper. And then here we have... Meredith, who just seems kind of like, you know, again, just kind of um, a ding-dong. And, uh, you know, um, like last episode, she's like, did you see me? Did you go to the World's Fair? That's what I think the future will look like. Just sort of like this person. And then she comes in, and she's the one who delivers the speech that finally gets Don to, you know, to say, okay, we need to admit to the agency, like, what's going on. Um, and really kind of has, like, this forceful moment um, and exerts quite a bit of power. And so it's just interesting. Um, 
And that may go back to, you know, what you were saying about how the world is changing around them. Because these, these two people are obviously also, like, younger. They're underlings, right? They're, like, under these people, but they're, they're, they're pushing upward. Um, yeah. So, yeah. There's the... Maybe, maybe my favorite line of the show, when <laughs> Meredith comes in and, and Don and... Shirley, is that right? Yes. And Shirley says, Meredith, we need to put a bell on you. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in the comments on um, on Tom and Lorenzo like said that they um, that they thought that she was being a mean girl, and uh, I was like, I didn't, I didn't read that as mean at all, like. It was, no, I don't think it's mean. Yeah, I didn't read it as mean um, at all. Uh, it just seemed like, yeah, like Meredith. It's an office. Like, the office environment is rife with that shit, right? Like, yeah. people overhearing other people's conversations, and if those people are good the boss, they may be, like, you know, they may tell the boss what you said about them or about the situation or, you know, just anything like that. Um, and so, I mean, it just seemed like typical, a typical office politics kind of situation. Um, one of my other favorite moments was when, uh, Peggy and Stan were on the phone with each other and they, they, they finished their conversation and Peggy's like, just stay on the phone. He's like, okay. So they just sit there not talking while they're both holding the phones to their ears. That was really nice. Yeah. Like. Like um, what they used to do when they weren't working at the same company, right? They would just yeah, have the phones, and not talk. Um, and that's a really nice thing to see for them because their relationship has gotten really strained. Um, well, yeah, because we didn't even talk about, you know, Peggy's confession to him. Yeah, yeah. This this episode kind of saw them reconnecting, which was nice. Um, and her opening up to him about, um, so like the the stage mom who come, who has the daughter who she leaves at this, at the audition. Um, and then the the daughter is playing around the office and staples her finger and the mom comes in just at that moment and freaks out, starts yelling at Peggy, Peggy yells back. And (laughs) the woman says, you do what you want with your child. I'll do what I want with mine. Yeah. And it's like, oh, that and, hurt. <laughs> and all leading up to that, we've seen Peggy being really awkward with these children. Yes. Um, and and it's interesting, too, because it's like when she opens up to Stan about, uh, you know, the child that she had, um, like, uh, she... You know, she kind of, like, there's this indication that she, like, she just tries not to think about it. If I think about it too much, you know, it'll it'll just, you know, it'll torture me. So I just sort of try to put it out of my mind. And um, and I'm here, and he's with a family somewhere. Like, it's not. She says, doesn't, she says, I, she says not that I care. It's that, like, I can't, I can't know. You're not supposed to know. Right. Because otherwise you can't live your life. And it's funny because, like, you can kind of see almost that kind of thinking in the way she keeps this very physical distance from these kids. Like, when she's, they're all sitting at the table and she kind of stands several feet back from the table and says, okay, now play. 
now play, you know? <laughs> and Stan gets in there and, like, physically touches the children, right? He, like, yeah. grabs up, touches the boy's shoulder and is like, you know, show me how far you can throw that ball. And um, Although I sort of wonder if, even if Peggy hadn't put a kid up for adoption, if she would have known how to relate to those kids. Yeah, like, I mean, I definitely, <laughs> I can see that, but it is still, like, mirroring that idea, right, of yeah. her, like, having to keep her distance from this idea of this child. Um, right for fear of the floodgates opening. And I mean, that's sort of Peggy. I mean, with or without the kid, that's kind of Peggy anyway, right? Like anything, she's kind of always keeping her distance for fear of what might happen if she like, if I open up, there's definitely people in the world who feel like if I open up just a little bit, the floodgates might open and I might lose all control and I might just be this sloppy emotional mess everywhere and vulnerable, vulnerable. So they just build walls because they don't know I how to... I might crash my, my knees alone in my apartment right? when I come home. Exactly. And so I think like the, that's kind of Peggy's whole thing is, um, is just like keeping that sense of constant control and always having a wall up between her and the world, uh, for fear that, you know, if she lets, if she lets go, she might like lose all control. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting to see her open up about the kid. Cause it's funny. It's like, we forgot, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, we didn't forget, forget but we never think about it anymore do we i don't like it was she started talking well, about only, it only when she's around kids well it's funny because i mean i guess i just even the kids when they're in like in the um in the audition i wasn't really thinking oh yeah she had a kid like it just it just wasn't the first thing i thought of it just hasn't been the first thing that i thought of about peggy for a long time hmm. um and so it was like it, it was interesting. I mean, I guess for me, it's interesting that like I, you know, she's trying to forget she had this kid. Don't think about it. Don't think about it. And then I kind of feel like, Oh my gosh, I forgot she had this kid. Yeah. Um, I just want, I want for the, the finale, the series finale for there to be a flash forward where her and Stan are in a bar and she tells Stan that it's Pete's kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I want. You want Joan's happy ending. All I want is for Peggy to tell Stan that it's Pete's kid. And all Brian Gregory wants is Stan in Bob Benson shorts. Um, <laughs> Why can't we? Those things are not mutually exclusive. They could all happen. They could all happen. Stan can be in the shorts, in the bar, in the thing, and, and Joan is in the corner making out with her boyfriend while, you know, she's, like, in between make-out moments, she's, like, telling all the people at McCann where to step it. Um, <laughs> I think this could be amazing. Yes. This, combined with the the threesome, uh, the Stan, uh, Pima, Peggy, threesome, <laughs> and Don falling out the window, I mean, I don't know why they haven't hired us to write for this show. Really? I mean, <laughs> so good. Um, let's see. What else happened this episode? I feel like uh, we've... Well, we find out that Roger is still seeing, um, Megan's mom. Oh, yeah, and that reminds me, like, uh, they're in the bar, Don and, and, uh, Roger, and Roger goes to leave, and he grabs Don's face and he says, you're okay. Yeah. And, uh, and it was like, 
oh my god that felt really meaningful that that whole scene i thought was really good yeah i mean that could have sort of been the end of the show (laughs) in some ways because they were all sort of like we're out drinking because you know we're we're done right yeah, I know. Like, what is going to happen? I don't even, like, I know we do this like, every where single... Do you go, where do you go from there? Yeah, like, I know we do this every episode. Like, what's yeah. going to happen? Um, other than Don falling out the window, obviously, because it's death. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, when, when Roger said, you're okay, I was just like, oh, my God. I feel like that's all Don wants to hear. Yeah. Right? Like, you're okay. I feel like that is, like, the most meaningful... Okay, this is going to sound really silly, uh, but when I, like years and years ago, I went to, um, a women's retreat, an AA women's retreat, um, so like camp in Bile Lake or whatever. And we did this thing called angel whispers and everybody sits in a circle. And then like, um, one or two people will get up and start going around the circle and they'll go behind each person and whisper in that person's ear what they've always wanted to hear somebody say to them. And uh, I remember somebody, like, the first person who went whispered in my ear, like, I love you just the way you are. And, um, and it, like, I just started crying. It was so, it was, like, so, it was, like, oh, my God, yes. Like, I had never even thought about it. That's something I've always wanted to hear somebody say to me. And, like, I, that's what I thought of whenever Roger said, you're okay. It's just that, like, that feels very much like Don's angel whisper. Like, yeah. you know, the thing that Don needs to hear the most is just, like, you're okay, you're okay, you know, which kind of goes hand in hand with Jim, Jim Hobart saying, stop fighting, like, stop fighting, you're okay, like, you, you're fighting to prove something, but, you know, you don't have to do that, yeah. you're okay, um, and it's funny, Don doesn't seem really that bothered that, uh, Roger's dating Marie, like, he just says she's crazy, and Roger's like, nah, I don't, I don't want so um but well oh sorry oh i was just gonna say the love between the two of them is very sweet it's always nice when we see that like they have a genuine affection for each other and it's very it's nice um it is all right well i think i feel like We've gone on. It's been a long episode. A long enough. Thanks for hanging in. <laughs> if you're still listening to this, thanks. Um, so, yeah, so that is, uh, I guess we will see you guys again next week. And um, I've lost complete track of how many episodes we've seen so far and how many episodes. I think we've seen four. We've seen um, four. Because yeah, there were two with the waitress. I'm like, I'm counting everything in terms of the waitress, too. Oh, and Don went looking for the waitress again this episode. Right, and she was gone. <laughs> and there were two gay men. And, and they, they invited Don in, yes. <laughs> <they invited laughs> him for a drink. <laughs> Which well, was awesome. The, the one that was sitting on the bed was wanted him to come in, and then the other one kind of looked at him and closed <laughs> the door. Um... So, yeah, uh, like, oh, hell to the no. I'm not letting this handsome-ass <laughs> man in our apartment to get in the middle of us. Oh, that was funny. Um, so, yeah, that was a nice touch. But, uh, yeah, but I was like, oh, no. So we'll see what happens. Waitress watch. 
Here. She's gone. She won't be back. I certainly hope not. Um, all right. Well. All right. Well, listen Sunday to Secretly Timid and Not Talking About Madness. <laughs> Um, yep, exciting stuff. And then we will see you guys again next week. Bye. Bye.